Women of Science and Music, 30 Celebrations, Episode 20, A Famous Mycologist. There's many a lass of the scientist clan. I am Frances M. Lynch, the Artistic Director of Electric Voice Theatre, and you are most welcome to Episode 20 of our podcast series, Women of Science and Music, 30 Celebrations. Now... You may well be thinking that you've never heard of any mycologists, never mind a famous one, but this one is indeed very famous. Though perhaps for reasons which may seem at first glance unconnected to her science. We are assisted in our story by children we recorded performing a special song in several schools while we were on tour across the UK in the good old days. We will be guided through the fantastical world of fungi by Professor Lynn Boddy. But first we are joined by Catherine Booth who's going to tell us what she's been up to since she retired as science curator at the National Library of Scotland. I've been researching Scottish female scientists of the past and uncovering remarkable and often almost unknown stories. One figure I've researched is Beatrix Potter, who lived from 1866 to 1943. You may be thinking, Beatrix Potter is well known, wasn't Scottish, nor a scientist. We know her well as a much-loved author and illustrator of delightful children's books published in a very distinctive format. Books like Tale of Peter Rabbit, Squirrel Nutkin, Jemima Puddle Duck and many more. True, Beatrix Potter is well-known and not Scottish. However, there is a case for treating her as a scientist, principally as a mycologist. What's a mycologist? Mycologists study fungi. She studied mushrooms. Today, therefore, we're not thinking of Beatrix Potter as a children's author, but looking at her as a scientist and a passionate believer in nature conservation. I'm Lynn Boddy, Professor of Mycology at Cardiff University. In particular, I work on the ecology of fungi, where they are, what they're doing, how important they are for the natural world. A hundred or so years ago, mycologists only really had open to them their own eyes for observation. They could use microscopes, of course, to enhance that observation. Potter was born on the 28th of July 1866. Her father was a well-off lawyer. He was passionately interested in photography. Her mother was a watercolourist. She and her brother were always exploring the outdoors. I was exactly like that too, interested in everything and anything to do with nature. They kept all sorts of pets, including ones they weren't supposed to have in the house, like frogs and bats and mice. Animals, plants, everything. They noted what the animals were doing and wrote down their observations. She had a microscope as a child. How I would have loved that. Can you imagine how joyous Beatrix Potter would be with the increased power and resolution of microscopes, the ability to take photos with them, or even to hook them up onto computers or mobile phones to show people what you're seeing? 
Beatrix was taught at home by governesses. Uh, no, I wasn't taught by a governess. She also did an art course because she loved sketching and painting. Sometimes she went to the London galleries, museums and sketched specimens she saw there. Holidays in the country were very exciting for her and she soon discovered fungi were especially interesting to draw and paint. You've got to draw these things carefully. In 1892, while staying near Dunkeld, she got to know a local man, Charles Mackintosh. His job was a postman, so it gave him the chance to observe the natural world as he walked on his rounds and built up a prodigious knowledge. His special interest was also in fungi, of which he recorded several new species. I've never discovered a, a new fungus, or not knowingly. Beatrix had a huge respect for Charlie Mackintosh's expertise. It was he who suggested she look even closer at the specimen she was painting. He also encouraged her to use Latin names. Each species has only one scientific name, which is used worldwide, so there's no confusion. She observed and noted the features of the locality where specimens were found. It's also important to record exactly where fungi are found. In a thin wood of fir and larch. Where they're fruiting. Are they on wood or leaves? Species often eaten by slugs. Or whatever. And grows in gravel at the edge of the lake. You can identify fungi based on colour, smell. The colour of a specimen was really important to her. Shape of the base of the stem. She examined and sketched them and asked Charlie Mackintosh for help in identification. London, she had limited access to uncultivated areas, so she wrote letters to Charlie Mackintosh. colours and drawings still exist. simply to draw and paint. Ever curious, Beatrix asked lots of questions about the fungi she observed, such as wondering how spores from fungi germinated. This is where we can start calling her a scientist. Good scientists retain the inquisitiveness of childhood, but they have to be rigorous thinkers too. They question their ideas and those of others all of the time. Beatrix questioned prevalent ideas, not least concerning lichens. Beatrix read the work of European botanists and mycologists such as Simon Schwendener and Oscar Breyfeldt. Beatrice's uncle was a scientist, Henry Roscoe. He saw the makings of a scientist in her. He was also able to introduce her to scientific circles. 
She started experimenting in her family kitchen, germinating spores of toadstools. Spores are equivalent to the seeds of flowering plants. And observing them under a microscope. They spread the fungus. Placing spores on glass plates. Beatrix Potter looked at how the spores start to germinate. She could look at how long it is before they germinate. She used the microscope to help her regularly measure their growth. What conditions affect germination? Methodically, she then noted the results. How quickly the hyphae grow. A fine filament grows out and then it branches and it grows more and it forms a network called the mycelium. This is the main body of the fungus and it's usually hidden in whatever fungus is growing on or feeding on. The fruit body is just the tip of the iceberg. Beatrix recognised that the sort of experiments she was carrying out were not being done by others. Fungi are still understudied nowadays and this is very worrying because without fungi we wouldn't be here. The ecosystems of our planet would not work. She also began to see the need to note the host species, for example, a tree from which the fungus was growing. Fungi are the rotters, the garbage disposal agents of the natural world. They break down all the dead plant material and when they do that they release nutrients which plants can then take up to allow them to carry on growing. Sometimes a tree would show signs of disease. They do kill our crop plants. But sometimes it appeared completely healthy. What was the relationship between the host and the fungus? 90% of plants on the planet have partnerships between their roots and fungi. These are called mycorrhizas. It's the fungi which take up water and mineral nutrients and pass those to the plant and in return the plant gives the fungus sugars. Beatrix spotted lichens too. Lichens are fungi too and actually they are partnerships in a rather similar way to the mycorrhizas. She had the idea from her observations there were two species interacting. In 1867, Simon Fendener, a Swiss biologist, realised that lichens were actually dual organisms. But at the time, this idea was rubbished by lichenologists. And Beatrix actually spent quite a lot of time pondering this idea. She questioned whether fungi and algae were to the mutual benefit of each other. And actually, that's a question which is often still debated today. Beatrix's uncle, Sir Henry Roscoe, introduced her to George Massey, who was working at Kew. It seems that that meeting didn't impress her. She told him how she was germinating spores and he didn't believe her. He hadn't been successful in his own attempts to grow Bulgaria inquinans. Beatrix gave him a sample from her collection, and it subsequently worked. Beatrix often found that her samples were contaminated. She was working in a kitchen, after all, not in a fully equipped laboratory. One of the contaminants 
was penicillium. Well, I have considerable sympathy with her because, of course, even though we work in a fully equipped laboratory, it's still something we have to try to control all the time. We're often getting contaminants and you get fungi which are just common as spores in the air. And yes, that does include penicillium. Her uncle encouraged her to prepare a scientific paper for the Linnaean Society, whose members were eminent scientists but exclusively male. Women were not admitted until 1905. Title of her paper was Germination of the Spores of the Agaricinea, which is a gill type of fungus like a mushroom. Her uncle arranged for her paper to be read in 1897, and although it seemed to have been politely received, it was rejected. Unfortunately, we don't have the comments which were made. Beatrix never did revise the work, and the paper itself is completely lost. Professor Roy Watling pieced together details of a research from evidence he was able to track down and presented it to the Linnaean Society. A whole century after Beatrix had presented her paper, the value of her work was at last recognised. Beatrix Potter's life after this is much better known. Following an illustrated letter to amuse a sick child, she started to write her beautiful little children's books. She has the same level of detail in her illustrations that she used in her fungi paintings. In later life, she moved to live in a farm in the Lake District and took up sheep farming. She was a specialist breeder of Herdwick sheep. She also had a strong interest in nature conservation. I imagine that Beatrix Potter was a conservationist at heart. With the royalties from her books, she bought up large areas of land in the Lake District simply to keep developers out. She obviously wanted this land to be left in, in a good condition for everyone who follows. She died on the 22nd of December 1943. In her will, she left 4,000 acres of land to the National Trust. She was a great observer, recorder, scientist and investigator and promoter of mycology, very near the start of the discipline. I always loved her illustrations and vocabulary. Lettuces being soporific. I think she is an inspiration. I think it's wonderful that a scientist's name can be so well known to children from a young age. I think what she did was remarkable. It's crucial that people understand how important fungi are to our world. Our world would not operate without fungi. Without fungi, a work in progress that I am making in collaboration with Professor Lynn Body. Many thanks to her and to Catherine Booth and to you for listening. That's the end of episode 20, A Famous Mycologist. Do join us for the next episode of Women in Science and Music 30 Celebrations when our guests will be two entomologists, a clarinet-playing flea and butterflies in a wildflower meadow. 